Hi, I'm Janan Marashligil in Amsterdam. And I'm Laura Empana in Vienna. And this is Not Loud Enough. A podcast that delivers authentic conversations about actions we take to build a more inclusive and empowering world. Brought to you by two very good friends and their guests across various industries. some end of the year vibes you know winter it's cozy nice inside so you know feeling good <laughs> feeling good excited about this episode because it's our 10th episode Laura can you imagine 10 episodes that's right we made it we made it to the first 10 it has been quite a journey and it took us quite a while yeah i mean 10 episodes in three years time but okay let's just keep that part out it's 10 it's 10 and then it's 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 three years as well uh because in november it was our three years anniversary i still remember like yesterday when we were in front of the public library here in amsterdam we came up with the idea at that time and then we shot this little video together we were so excited and i'm so proud we're here Really? We had no idea how it was going to be. It was uh, just this uh, wish that we had to, to bring our conversations um, online and share them with, with everyone. From the beginning, we were thinking uh, to alternate uh, the, the episodes between uh, conversations with the two of us and with, with guests. So... Um, that's why we are uh, here today, just the two of us. I'm very excited, Laura, because for this episode, you suggested that we dive into into books and our passion, uh, our passion for books, right? That's right. Um, these are strong interests that we that we have. It goes back to the roots and to the beginning of this podcast. Um, conversations we always have been having, books, reading, writing, and how this passion uh, impacted our work uh, and not only our personal lives. And uh, I think it's a, it's a subject that um, we can approach now at the end of, of this year when we hope our listeners have more time uh, to get into, into books and, and reading and forget a bit about this uh, uh, dark reality. First of all, we're going to back to our childhood or younger years, right? So we're going to look at how our passion uh, for books uh, started. And then we will also look into books that moved us uh, this year, particularly books we read this year. Then, oh, I love this part. <laughs> you came up with this one too. Uh, which objects inhabit our home library? So you and I, we picked two objects each. So we will tell about these objects which are placed in our libraries. And also, now important, linking it back to everything we do at Not Loud Enough, 
uh, how all this passion helped us become better communicators. It's going to be a, a special uh, episode with some stories uh, that haven't been told and some interesting uh, insights into our um, literary world. Exactly. So let's start with you, uh, dear Laura. How did your passion for books, reading and writing all start? Well, um, I got the bug for, for books at home uh, as a child. And my parents had a big influence, uh, especially my father. Uh, both of them read books and always encouraged us, uh, my, my elder brothers and I, to read, to write, uh, to be curious about people, uh, places and their history. And most importantly, I grew up with a library in the house and I absolutely loved that. Um, the library I grew up with was built by my father in his teenage years. Uh, he started when he was 13 years old, and by the time he was 18, he had already 1,000 books. These were the 60s in Romania, uh, a country rebuilding itself after the war and trying to figure, it out, to figure out a new regime, the communist regime, right? So conditions were not particularly easy. Uh, the majority of people didn't have money to spend on books. But uh, my father, he would spend his lunch money on, on buying books in antiquarian shops. And this is how he built the library I grew up with. Um, he had the books, but he didn't have any bookshelves. So he begged his parents to buy him uh, some, some bookshelves to, to arrange his books. And that was not really the priority of the family at the time, right? But he was so persistent and, and his parents finally succumbed to, to his request. And they bought him um, these bookshelves that looked more like a display cabinet uh, because this is what they could uh, afford. And it, it was a display cabinet. Uh, it even had glass. And uh, in, in 1977, during uh, this devastating earthquake in Romania, the, the library fell down and the, the glass went to pieces. And actually, this is how I remember the, the library as, as a kid. For me, that display cabinet was a library. Uh, and uh, it, it's in there that I discovered and read you know, the classics, the Proust and, and um, Goethe and Flaubert and Zola, Dickens, um, Charlotte Bronte, Romanian novelists and poets as well, Marin Preda, Kojbuk, Topercianu, Eminescu, Zaharia Stanku, and so on. What's interesting is that this library exists intact even today. Um, sure, over the time it migrated from one room to another in the house, now it's in my parents' bedroom, which it makes sense. Uh, there's another library we have in the living room as well. And we, with time, yeah, my brothers and I, we added to, to this, we added books to this library. Um, and when we moved out from the house, we, we took some books. Um, some of my books are still there and I like this because whenever I visit home, it feels like I never left. And... Um, yeah, I, I have many memories as a child related to, to books and particularly to my home library. Um, because after school, for example, it was the first place I would stop by when coming home and, and just be there for a while. I would look for books 
and start reading on the floor. This is an image that I have uh, about me as a, as a kid. I love to read, uh, for example, I love to read out loud playwrights and interpret them <laughs> dressed <laughs> in some of my mom's most exquisite dresses and high heel sandals. And that was hilarious. My parents would, would find me like this in, in the room. And uh, yeah, so, um, but, but besides that, I remember, for example, tricks my parents used when we were kids in order to make us discover uh, the world of books. Uh, for example, every night we went to kiss them goodbye, I would find them reading in bed. And, you know, they thought that if we see these, uh, we would get curious, we would ask them uh, what's the book about and, and so on. And later on, when we were adults and we were well into books, they confessed us that there were evenings when they were simply exhausted and they couldn't read, but they kept holding the books in their hands around the time they knew we would come by uh, to say goodnight. So we see them reading and emulate uh, that habit. And I love this idea of holding tight to the books. And what can I say? I think, yeah, their trick uh, fully worked. Um, and to this day, we have, we have a, a great laugh uh, about it with my brothers and, and my parents about all this. Another memory I have from my childhood, it's about when we had guests and my parents would ask me to uh, recite poems in French to our guests. Um, and the context behind that is that I started to study French from an early age and have been spending a lot of my time at the Alliance Française in my town, which is like a inst uh, cultural institute, French cultural institute. And I, I was participating um, in, in their activities. I was there all the time writing, but also performing in French. And uh, this is how, that's why I, I got to perform in, specifically in French in front of the guests. But I didn't perform only for our guests, but for my family too, and regularly. <laughs> and this is something, yeah, it makes me always laugh. We, we have a big home on, on different levels, on several levels, and we have stairs between the living room and, and uh, the kitchen. So... Uh, actually, those stairs were so perfect for an artistic appearance in my uh, <laughs> early years. Uh, one of my most memorable performances would include coming down the stairs, singing, <laughs> or simply reciting, you know, and that's the interesting part, reciting in an improvised text in an unknown language. I was pretending um, speaking a foreign language. I mean, look at me today, <laughs> right? It all makes sense. It all makes sense. <laughs> it all comes together. <laughs> so as you can see, Janan, uh, books, uh, art, performances have been part of my existence these many years. Books are something that I exchange about with my father to this day. We regularly update each other on our latest acquisitions. You know, we give book recommendations to each other. And it's actually thanks to him that I learned that the most precious gift you can make someone is a book. And I'm so grateful to him for that and for exposing me to this world. Um, actually, in preparation for this episode, I had a wonderful discussion with him, um, trying to remember uh, these, these stories that I just uh, shared. And 
me actually I found out some new stories that I didn't know about he was very moved uh, when I told him I I would like to mention him uh, so this episode it's it's quite a special one for me Wow, Laura, wow. I, I was so very moved uh, to hear the, this story. It's really amazing how telling about books or, or encounter with books is never just about the writers and their imaginary worlds, but it's also ours. This discovery in itself is part of our imagination and, and it forms our, our realities, how we read, how we write, how we experience arts, culture and, and the world in general. I'm not surprised at all, you know, at why you're so in love, not only with the written word, but with the book uh, as an object. It's also the case for me, you know. Um, however, my introduction um, to books came very late and not through the home. To me, early childhood and my younger years were populated with performance and uh, making making stuff. Uh, and my parents have always encouraged encouraged this, uh, this urge in me, giving me all the space I needed to express myself, even though uh, we didn't have much money and we lived in not too big apartments. You know, this was Brussels in the 80s and only my father was working and mom was taking care of me and my then uh, four-year-old uh, younger uh, brother. So I remember, you know, I, I know this from a picture uh, there is of me when I was around three, three years old, maybe standing in front of a wall filled with drawings, my own drawings. I know because I have the pens in my hand and I'm looking at the camera and you see all these huge drawings on the, on the wall. So my parents, in order to let me draw big and express myself as freely as possible, had given me a whole wall where I could just make a mess. <laughs> And I think that's why, you know, you see me work now. I have in my practice, I, I like making a mess. I think it comes already from there. <laughs> I know now where this comes from, because I, I, I know you now how you are when you create. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know the origins of this. So and on that picture, you know, I look so happy. And I guess, you know, that freedom is also what allowed me to further explore with mini performances because I would create mini plays uh, with story I invented myself and then I would get my brother to perform with me and then we would rehearse and, uh, and then I would call my parents to watch us. <laughs> and sometimes I'd also do it for guests and then, you know, I would ask for an entrance fee. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if many people maybe recognize this, but for me it was something I would do all the time you can ask my brother he was always I was always dragging him to to do this um, with me this was before you know I discovered the joys uh, of reading because we didn't really have a, a library in the house my library was my own imagination for a long time in school I got introduced to books and to reading in primary school I remember reading this novel um, about the construction of a dam near a village and the impact it uh, it was having on, uh, on the inhabitants of the village. And I loved that book. I really, I think, because it was also about resilience and the resilience of these inhabitants. So I, I do remember those, those emotions I had when I read that book. But then again, you know, it's theater and performance that was really, for me, the most important. Um, for instance, uh, I had to learn this middle-aged play 
uh, by heart when I was in primary school because we had to perform it. And, and there are now videos on Facebook about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, secondary school. So after about 13 years old, really, I started to read more seriously. Uh, and that's when I started, you know, to get really passionate about reading. And I started, of course, with classics like Emile Zola, Kafka, Stefan Zweig. And Stefan Zweig really hit me hard, you know. Uh, I'll never, never, never also forget how I felt when I read Zola's uh, Thérèse Raquin. Uh, but also they made us read Patrick Suskin's uh, perfume in schools, you know. That was in our reading list in French class. I'm not sure this is a book nowadays that will be given to young people <laughs> to read, really. And uh, spoiler alert, you know, the end scene is much more gruesome in the book than in the film. So, yeah, I still remember how I felt reading that. <laughs> so, again... <laughs> If you're a teacher and you're letting this read to your young kids, I'm not sure it's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, last week, you know, oh, that that's really amazing. And I thought a lot about you last week because I went to see um, uh, to the cinema to see Letter from an Unknown Woman. It's a Max Ophüls film from 1948 based on a novella by Zweig. Um, and I thought about you because, you know, it takes place in Vienna, early 1900s, or the opening scene in Vienna, like, oh, I wish, I wish uh, Laura was here with me watching this. So I, I really thought about you in the cinema. Uh, but you know that, that it brought me back also into those teenage years when I obsessively read Stefan Zweig. Um, and then there's a whole range of books and films, you know, about AIDS we were bombarded uh, with in school and on TV because it was, you know, the early 90s. Uh, stories of young people catching HIV, all these very difficult stories about love in the age of HIV epidemic. Uh, like, for instance, On n'est pas sérieux quand on a 17 ans. You're not serious when you're 17 years old. It's also a first line of a Arthur Rimbaud poem. And this was the real-life story of a young girl who got HIV virus from a man who infected her on purpose. And I remember also this was a huge issue at the time, and we were discussing it in school through reading such books. Or we were also watching films like Cyril Collard's Savage Nights, you know, Les, Les Nuits Fauves, also on the subject of HIV. So th th this actually made me also very aware of this huge, uh, you know, all, not only HIV, but also, you know, importance of protecting yourself, having safe sex, for instance. And I, I've, I've always been an advocate for, also with my friends and everyone, guys, we have to really be responsible. Uh, <laughs> I think it also comes from those years and all those readings. So it really impacted me a lot. Then uh, the university years brought me to English and Spanish-speaking literatures. I discovered, you know, post-colonial literatures, magical realism, and more. And in between, you know, in between, it was always, always theater and performance. Uh, getting words outside of the book is actually what interested me most, and it's really, really excited me the most. And that's why also I did years, uh, you know, why I did years of theater also when I was, I was an amateur actor when I was at university. Uh, that was at a time when I, I read Bernard Marie Coltès, for instance, and I still read Coltès, you know, with much, uh, much love. And this also explains, really explains my obsession today to move between media, to get the words out of the book 
and organizing workshops, literary programs, podcasts. Yeah, the more I tell this story, Laura, the more it makes sense to me now. <laughs> it's like the story of the stories of our becoming. But um, actually, listening to to your amazing story as well. Um, I have a few ideas um, to, to share. First of all, I love that you had this entrepreneurial spirit from an early age, like the idea of thinking to charge your family for your performances. Great. I didn't think about that. Oh, man. <laughs> My dad is going to be proud if you listen <laughs> <laughs> we make our families very proud with this episode. And then, um, of course, I love the idea that you learn uh, freedom, also uh, freedom um, creatively, thanks to your parents or through your parents. And related to that, I think it's so important to what we expose our kids to, because it shapes us into, into our um, adulthood. Another, another idea is listening the kind of things that you were studying in school made me think as well that it's very interesting because we lived, we grew up in uh, different societies and different cultural norms. And the things you are talking about, these were not in my curriculum in the 80s in communism in Romania, right? We didn't discuss HIV or sexual protection. Um, it's, it's very interesting that even if we lived in different societies, there are some layers that um, overlap in, in, in a way. And uh, it's... It's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And if there was any doubt why we were friends, I think now it's very clear. We have a very clear proof. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, even in our past, we were already friends when we were children. We just didn't know. You know what? It also made me think that we have never shared these stories, even not to each other. I mean, I think there were just bits and pieces here and there, but never the whole stories. And it's wonderful that we can do it this way, you know. Yeah, I know. We never really told this. I did. I had no idea about your your library, your dad's library. It's the first time I hear this story now, so I'm very very moved about that. And um, and we we you know we never go so deep telling uh, about uh, our childhood in this way through the because it's so natural for for us. You know, we talk about books all the time, and but I love that we discover new things about each other this way. See, we keep learning. We keep learning to know each other, even after five years of friendship. Isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful to discover things uh, almost every day, although we, we talk every day. so yeah. And we talk about books all the time. So let's talk more about books. Uh, I would like you to share some books uh, you've read. I have to confess this year, I mostly read books related to the communication profession, but I managed in between to read on uh, to, to read about other topics as well. The first book I'm going to read from is part of a wonderful, amazing birthday present that I received from you. It's a book called On Connection 
by Kay Tempest. I know it's, it's a book that also moved you a lot and I thank you so much for thinking about uh, also sending it to me as well. And I will read from um, the very beginning, uh, the chapter, each chapter uh, in, in the book has a, a title from a quote of uh, William Blake and this one is about the fox condemns the trap, not himself. The problem with reflection is that before looking in the mirror, we compose ourselves. So what we see is what we hope to see. Before the furtive glance into the dark glass of a parked car or shop window, we have already made the face or taken the posture that we like to see. We adapt for the shock of observation. To really see ourselves requires a different approach. To locate ourselves fully in the present is difficult. What do we stand for? How do we square our beliefs with the realities of our lives as consumers? You may feel like the good guy, sure, but how can you be certain? When was the last time you noticed yourself behaving in a way that conflicted with your beliefs? Does it not happen daily that, you're, that you transgress your own codes? You may be sure that you stand for honesty and integrity, but you still lied to your partner and deleted the texts. You still lost your temper in the car and screamed at your son. If we are to come to a better understanding of our behavior, we need to know ourselves not only as we'd like to be, but in how we actually operate. Who do you perform as when you are with different groups of people? Would you let a racist or homophobic remark slide from an acquaintance because it would break your personal social code to interject and pull them up on it? If so, are you prepared to accept that you lack integrity, that social conformity means you hold your desire to please people or avoid confrontation in higher regard than your morals, the twin existences of two of who we hope to be and who we actually are have been a long-standing literary obsession. We tell endless stories about the forces that compete for our souls, whether it's Faust and his devils, Kendrick Lamar's K-Dot trying to find his way through, through in uh, Good Kid, Mad City, or Odysseus blessed by uh, Pallas Athena and punished by Poseidon. These works encourage close examination of motives and morals, but it's much easier to surrender responsibility to gods or circumstance than take matters into our own hands and say, perhaps I am not who I consider myself to be. Perhaps in truth, I have never really considered myself at all. We have grown far from ourselves. The charades we are expected to perform have become real and swallowed us in the act, into the act. How else could we cope with the parameters of our lives, if not by virtue of the chips we stack to prove ourselves worthwhile, if not by believing in the farce? And we have grown far from each other. This is a very powerful passage from Kate Tempest, really. I, I'm really glad you like this book. It is. I'm going to read one more passage because it's, it's one of my favorite passages and they're all related. Along the journey, I have come up against a lot of people who just don't get it. In the past, 
I understood them as being closed people, completely switched off. I used to get frustrated with these people, angry at the lack of consciousness. If I could only reach them, I was sure that I could change their minds. But now, thankfully, I see things differently. I see that every single person is affected by the violence of existence in different ways, and that people carry their burdens however they can. People suffer a great deal, and ideally, they must process their traumas in order to reach some kind of peace. But what if your situation is too intense and you can't get a moment respite? People respond differently to things. People have different things to respond to. I am no one to judge how someone has come to a conclusion. I am no one to judge what conclusions someone has come to. And now my favorite phrase. I do not want to change minds anymore. I just want to connect. And I think the reason why I related so much to this passage is because of my work with Migration Lab. And as you know, every time in, in interviews and in discussions, I was asked, how do we reach those who don't think like us, who are not as open? How, how, how do we change their minds? And I think this is a more complex um, uh, approach. And this particular passage, I just love the idea of not changing the minds of people. Maybe we got it wrong. The approach is wrong. Maybe we just need to connect. It's very powerful to, to write such a book in, in these challenging times, such a powerful and, and vulnerable uh, piece of uh, poetic text because uh, Kate Tempest has always been an amazing poet, I, th I find. But with this book, they're really... They're really going deep into, yeah, around the theme of connection. I, I really appreciate yeah. that. Is it too much if I read one more passage? Please do read. It's, a, it's an amazing book. I think it, it deserves a lot of space. Yes, please go ahead. It's about stories and empathy, and I think it's also very nice. I mean, it was very hard to choose what exactly to take out from this book because I would read it from uh, cover to cover. You just want to read it all, right? I know, I know. Read it out aloud. You know, I was reading it aloud to, to my partner the other day. Wonderful. Yeah. But this is a different experience to read it out loud. It is an ex a wonderful experience and it's really intimate experience. I, I would recommend it there to anyone. Read to your loved ones. It's beautiful. <laughs> wonderful. So, immersion in other people's stories cultivates empathy. When we are reading or listening to stories being told, provided there is enough tension in the narrative, our brains release cortisol into our blood to help us focus and concentrate, and also oxytocin, the chemical related to care and empathy. Theater and music have long been arenas in which we examine our moralities and consider our shortcomings, as well as celebrate our virtues. Think of the tragic place of ancient times. We watch the hero in denial of their weakness eventually fall because of their self-blindness. Think of the old folk uh, songs, sagas of betrayal, pride, murder. Juicy morality tales, not unlike present-day TV dramas. All with lessons to teach about how best to approach the problem of living a life that encourages us to greater compassion for those whose struggles we recognize. 
Stories and songs bring us into contact with our best and worst natures. They enable us to locate ourselves in other people's experience and they increase our compassion. But these things in a vacuum are useless. A story doesn't cultivate empathy just by virtue of its having been thought up. It must be engaged with to become powerful. The story must be read. The song must be listened to in order to acquire its full charge. It's again connection. Yeah. We, 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 don't, we don't create in a vacuum. We don't, it's like this, this podcast is an example. You know, you and I, we can talk and talk, but we connect, you and I, we connect, but we also want to connect with our listeners. We really want to connect. Are you listening, by the way? <laughs> I always check once, are we speaking into the void? No, but it's, it, it is important. This is how our stories, your story and my story, together we exist, but then we want it also to exist and connect with our listeners. And it's the same thing with my writing or a, everything I do. You know, sometimes people ask, I, I, I never understood some writers who would say, oh, I just write because I, I just want to write, you know. It, I, 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 of course, it's because you want to write and you have things to say, but I want to be read. I want to be listened to. I want my voice to be heard. I don't. I want that connection. It's it's it, it is not about ego. It is not about well a bit maybe, but it's about connection. And I think Kate Tempest really expresses this so so powerfully. It's a powerful book. We both recommend everyone to read it. Uh, I read it in a in a nutshell. I was so hooked. I could not let it go. So it's it's very profound and uh, very at the same time easy to 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 go through. A perfect uh, uh, Christmas and end of the year present. Yes. <laughs> and we are not sponsored by anyone for this. So just get yourself a book wherever you like. Local bookstores. This is what I would say. Go to your local bookshops because many many of them are struggling right now. Wherever you are in the world, we highly recommend you go to your lo local bookstores to buy books. And you have a, a po poem you would like to read us, right? Yes, a poem. Uh, you know, same as you, I think, in, in, uh, in this uh, perspective, um, when we travel, we like to um, visit local bookshops and uh, we love to get in touch uh, with local literature and I love Singapore and last year I made a tour of some amazing independent bookstores um, and I found out uh, about a known poet Cyril Wong um, who is also a winner of the Singapore Literature Prize for English Poetry And he had this, uh, he has this book of poems called The Lover's Inventory. Inventory. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful, it's, it was also very hard to just pick one because you need to read out the whole book. Um, it's exactly what, uh, what it says, an inventory that encompasses objects and places and, you know, sensations. Uh, and, and they are like love letters to past flings and past lovers, um, uh, talking about the challenges of desire, about letting go, about loneliness. And this is a poem which is entitled Book, because we are talking about books. I pull out the book of poems by Pablo Neruda, you mailed me from England, along with the snapshot of you looking manly, like a mountain climber surrounded by green hills. 
We met on the internet. Phone sex was the closest we could ever get. Then an endless silence after which we both gave up. If I'd fled Singapore to live with you, we could have made love in an English cottage in your village town. We'd fight and write poems for each other right after. We'd grow old through actual seasons and you could die in my arms in our garden under a less unceremonious sun. How predictable this narrow book of a life left thankfully unopened and how restless and unhappy we'd have been. That was my take. <laughs> really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. This is really very, very inspiring and very also happy that you picked two queer writers. <laughs> and I'm so looking forward for your picks. What do you have for us? Well, I am. I have to say first, I'm a really chaotic writer, uh, reader, writer too. Yes, I'm. I'm chaotic all around. But as a reader, I'm also very chaotic. I usually read many things at the same time, books, articles, and uh, and then that, thinking about what did I read this year? How it 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 was a bit more challenging than I thought it would be. And I was like, did I? And, and also, you know, our concept of time now has a bit uh, shifted. I'm like, was it this year or was it last? When did I read this again? So actually, I picked two books, which I'm pretty sure I read this year. One of them is sure because it was written <laughs> during the pandemic. Uh, so it's Intimations by Zadie Smith. Uh, she wrote the book during the, the lockdown. And my other pick is All About Love by Bell Hooks. And I would like to read uh, fragments which really moved me from both of these books. So I am now going to, to read a passage from Zadie Smith's book, uh, Intimations. For me, the cliche is true. Only way out is through. Trying to preserve some space for yourself in the crowded domestic sphere feels like obsessively cupping your hands around thin air. You carve it out, the time you need, after much anxiety and debate, and get into the separate space and look between your hands, and there it is. Nothing. An empty victory. At the end of April, in a powerful essay by another writer, Otessa Moshvek, I read this line about love. Without it, life is just doing time. I don't think she intended by this only romantic love or parental love or familial love or really any kind of love in particular. At least, I read it in the platonic sense. Love with a capital L. An ideal form, an essential part of the universe, like beauty or the color red, from which all particular examples on earth take their nature. Without this element present in some form, somewhere in our lives, there really is only time, and there will always be too much of it. Busyness will not disguise its lack. Even if you're working from home every moment God gives, even if you don't have a minute to spare, still all of that time, without love, will feel empty and endless. I write because, well, the best I can say for it, it's a psychological quirk of mine developed in response to whatever personal failings I have. But it can't ever meaningfully fill the time. There is no great difference between novels and banana bread. They are both just something to do, 
there are no substitutes for love. And then she goes on, uh, I'm keeping a paragraph. This one I really like too. Love is not something to do, but something to be experienced and something to go through. That must be why it frightens so many of us and why we so often approach it indirectly. So I was very moved by this passage, you know, because also it's about writing, it's about love, it's about so many things, yeah. so yeah. many layers, and you can express it, express it, um, receive it <laughs> to to into your own, you know, your own experiences. You can experience it the way you. It depends where you are in your life right now. I'm sure the beginning of this resonated differently with you right now for instance so yes it's um it's very powerful and i think it relates uh with people and people they can take whatever they need to take out of uh out of these excerpts yeah it's it's, it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah I, I i do like zadie smith a lot but i think many many people love her <laughs> we saw her in amsterdam a few years ago remember we did together it was uh right it was exactly after the uh, election of trump she talked about that right yes i remember i remember oh it was quite oh wow already so many years ago oh time passes let's not think about that let's not think about time 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 is a construct. Anyway, uh, now I'm going to read a passage. Also, you know, I, nowadays I'm really, also because I'm working on a project around uh, love and tenderness and the possibility of tenderness in these times of crisis, also related to issues around mental health and neurodiversity, etc. So I'm reading lots of things that relate to these topics. And that's why also I wanted to read All About Love by uh, Bell Hooks. And... Um, It's also an extraordinary... I really recommend... Of course, we read passages. Of course, we're going to recommend people to read them. <laughs> we're not going to read passages and say, don't read this book. <laughs> Please get yourself these, the copies of these books. And I want to read a passage from Bell Hooks' book. This one is about the ethics uh, and the principle love ethic. And yes, and it's going to connect well, I think, with what you discussed and what you shared with the Kay Tempest's book. So this is from All About Love by Bell Hooks. I like living in small towns precisely because they are most often the places in our nation where basic principles underlying a love ethic exist and are the standards by which most people try to live their lives. In the small town where I live, now only some of the time, there is a spirit of neighborliness, of fellowship, care and respect. These same values existed in the neighborhoods of the town in which I grew up, Even though I spend most of my time in New York City, I live in a cooperative apartment building where we all know each other. We protect and nurture our collective well-being. We strive to make our home place a positive environment for everyone. We all agree that integrity and care enhance all our lives. We try to live by the principles of a love ethic. To live our lives Based on the principles of a love ethic, showing care, respect, knowledge, integrity, and the will to cooperate, we have to be courageous. Learning how to face our fears is one way we embrace love. Our fear may not go away, but it will not stand in the way. Those of us who have already chosen to embrace a love ethic 
allowing it to govern and inform how we think and act, know that when we let our light shine, we draw to us and are drawn to other bearers of light. We are not alone. Oh, this is beautiful. And it's like love, connection, books, the keywords for our conversation today. Both of us, we are concerned with these issues, not only in literature and in the imagination, but also how it relates to our daily lives and our work as well. And I think we will talk more about it right after maybe we share. That would be nice if we share also other reading material, whether it's book, newsletters or um, articles we have been reading and that our listeners may find uh, interesting. I think you have a, a few very interesting ones. A uh, few interesting ones. I tried not to include the ones, as I said, the ones I read for, for related to communication. So my, my list, Things I Don't Want to Know, it's a part of a trilogy on writing, gender politics and philosophy by Deborah Levy, an author that I discovered this year. I, I bought the books when I was in Brussels last year without really knowing. Um, I didn't know about her. And then uh, this year I read uh, the, the first part, absolutely beautiful. Um, another book that really, really uh, shook me um, was Donut Economics by Kate Raworth. It will forever change your view about economics uh, and about how should we think and do economics uh, in the 21st century. Absolutely uh, uh, you have to you have to read this. It's it's great. It's a great great book. Another one, um, the four stages of psychological safety by Timothy Clark. It's on inclusion and innovation and include inclusive leadership. Um, very very powerful book as well. Um, a nice surprise this year. A friend uh, uh, recommended me to to read the Trevor Noah. Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. Uh, he's a wonderful uh, storyteller, but also the book, although we know him, uh, he has uh, uh, an exquisite humor and so on. The book, however, is, is quite heavy. I cannot, I have, I have a bit of difficulty to, to read it because it's, it's heavy. Uh, talking about his childhood and apartheid in South Africa and, and everything. It's, it's um, yeah, also to, to recommend. And um, another one that, uh, again, it was a, a birthday present from you. It's, uh, again, a, a very powerful book, Mona Etahawi, The Seven Necessary Sins for Women and Girls. And uh, a special one, which, uh, you know, sometimes you have these books in your library and you just keep them for, uh, I don't know, th th that kind of time when you are quiet and you manage to uh, recluse yourself and uh, have just dedicate time just for it, is this wonderful, wonderful poet and, and writer Ocean Wong. Uh, with his On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous. It's a book that I plan to have it now, to read it now in, in between Christmas and, and New Year's Eve. Let's see. The list is long, but let's not overwhelm our listeners. What about you, uh, Janan? Well, so, some of that, these books are on my list too. 
Uh, Ocean Vuong, same thing. I, I, I'm keeping uh, this novel for, I think, this period now. After I finish my few deadlines, I'm, I want to dive into it. Like I don't want to have anything else to have in my mind when I read uh, these novels. So yeah, some of these books are on my list. Uh, and by the way, good news, I'm going to interview uh, Mona El-Tahawi for another podcast later this month. Uh, and we will share it also on our podcast channel. So if people are interested to, to follow that podcast, it's for a local uh, literary um, poetry space here in Amsterdam called Perdu. So I'm very excited about that. And sin, since you mentioned her also, I'd like to start talking about her, so suggesting her, um, her, her newsletter, which is called the Feminist Giant Newsletter. I really highly recommend everyone to subscribe to that one. And if they can also uh, support uh, Mona's work, to uh, to subscribe to it on a, uh, you can really support it uh, financially as well if you want uh, get a financial subscription. Uh, what I love about this is again going outside of the book form. You know, you're outside of the book form, but you still tell powerful stories. And uh, she 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 has really some excellent essays uh, in there. She's a powerful speaker. Remember, we also saw her together in Brussels last year. Yeah, exactly. No, no, she's. Really, and her discourse is really uh, is developing in a fascinating manner. Uh, how she goes outside of the classical publishing uh, uh, circle to do her own, to have her own voice. I, I think it's really wonderful, and we will talk about all this in the other podcast I'll do with her. So, stay tuned about that one. Um, and uh, so, uh, some of the books on my list, of course, you know, Kate Tempest on Connection. Then another book I read, well, re I haven't finished it yet, I have to say, because it's more than, I think, around 1,000 pages, and I, I didn't get there yet. But I, I already read a big chunk of it. It's a Sontag, Her Life and Work by Benjamin Moser. It's a, it's really excellent a biography of uh, Susan Sontag, and I've always been a fan of Sontag's work. So for me, it's a real pleasure to read that, but I'm still in the process of reading it, among all the other things. But this it's really excellent. Uh, another one is uh, La Différence Invisible. It's a graphic novel on autism by Mademoiselle Caroline and Julie Dachez. Uh, so I've been more and more interested in reading about neurodiversity and especially autism because my partner uh, is on the spectrum. And so I find it very important to learn more about uh, neurodiversity uh, in general. I also want to mention Silence is My Mother Tongue by Sulaiman Adonia. And I feel so lucky, you know, to have been able to work with Suleiman during the Read My World Festival. And I urge really everyone to read uh, his essay on the wound of multilingualism in LitHub. And we will link to it in the show notes. What an essay. Such a fantastic piece of writing. And I remember I also exchanged with him uh, on Twitter um, uh, exactly about, about this, this essay. Uh, his take on multilingualism uh, resonated with both of us so much. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful human being. And he's based in Brussels and, yeah, fantastic writer. His book also came out in the U.S. now, Silence is My Mother Tongue. So really, I mean, get his book uh, and read and incredible writer. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm, re I'm really happy to see how our our, our, our our book list and our reading has also evolved through the years. You know, we started talking about the classics and Zola and Zweig, and, and then now look at us, you know, it's, I think it's fantastic to evolve in this way. It is. It, it has also to do with our movement through cultures, countries, uh, meeting new people, 
Um, and uh, I will talk about more in, in a bit later because all these influenced and informed um, our, our work creatively or, or as communicators. Talking about intersection, you just talked about intersection. So I think we also have objects in our libraries yes. that connect our worlds. Uh-huh. We always uh, inhabit our libraries with different items and objects. And besides, of course, objects that I have from you, that you are everywhere in, in my house. <laughs> the cards, the beautiful cards you surprise me always with. And I always love to find in my mailbox, oh, another, another letter from Jana that I didn't know about. So these are all spread over my library. Um, I uh, would like to talk about um, a piece of soap that sits very comfortably <laughs> on my bookshelf. And I know it sounds crazy. Uh, what the hell does a piece of soap uh, do <laughs> in, a, in a library, in a home library? But it's not just a, a bar of soap, an ordinary bar of soap. Um, I purchased it in uh, Sweeney's Pharmacy in Dublin, where the main character in Ulysses uh, by James Joyce goes and buys his soap. It's wonderfully packed in paper and it reads in this old school font FW Sweeney and Co. LTD, Dispensing Chemists. I love this. Lincoln Place, Marion Square, Dublin. Um, a bit of context uh, for, for this. In, to, in 2017, I traveled to Limerick with Migration Lab and I had a few hours to spend in Dublin, really limited time. And uh, I went to see the impressive old library of the Trinity College. I made a stop at the Sweeney's Pharmacy, where I had a wonderful discussion with the old couple who runs the place. I think it's PJ and B. This is how I uh, wrote them down in my diary. And from there, from the Sweeney's Pharmacy, I crossed the street to have dinner at the Kennedy's Pub, where Oscar Wilde, James Joyce, Eats and Beckett used to come and write. It's, it's quite impressive. I, I really loved that few hours in in Dublin and I know we are in the middle of a pandemic and soap is very important nowadays but no matter what happens this piece doesn't go anywhere (laughs) from my bookshelf (laughs) like even if it's the last soap on earth (laughs) (laughs) that we need (laughs) to put this virus away (laughs) You know what? Connection, connection. I have that same soap. It's now, and it's now standing in front of my Stefan Zweig books. (laughs) Yes. It's amazing. I I love that. I love that. And and, yeah. Fantastic. So again, something, uh, same objects. um. The second, uh, there are two objects, uh, two clay vases. Vases, vase, vases. It's one of our wonderful mispronunciations, which shows that we are international speakers. <laughs> the intersection between French, German, Romanian, whatever, English. Uh, two clay vases. When I was studying languages and translation in, in Sibiu, Hermannstadt, for the German-speaking uh, uh, listeners, uh, a beautiful town in Transvi- Transylvania, in Romania, 
I used to volunteer as a translator during the Sibiu International Theatre Festival. This is an important performing arts festival in, in Europe. And, you know, I, I love theatre. I used to perform as well back in those days. So it made a lot of sense for me to be there. Uh, and uh, every year for 10 days at the beginning of the summer, the city absolutely vibrates uh, with culture, with diversity, with hundreds of performances, outdoors and indoors. And as a translator, I, as a volunteer translator, I would accompany a theater group to all the activities and performances they were involved in for the duration of the festival. Well, one summer, I accompanied a group of actors from Algeria who was participating in a series of workshops on war called War Stories. And the goal of this workshop uh, was to produce a collective theater piece on war together with three more theater companies from Gaza, Palestine, Serbia and UK. And this was in 2002, close after 9-11 uh, events. And it was a transformative experience for me because um, I was exposed to, to war stories through theater directly from people who had been going through it. Uh, it was really remarkable. And as translators, my colleagues and I, we really immersed ourselves with the group's stories and we even became part of the final performance. We really bonded with everyone. And uh, the two clay vases are actually a gift that I received uh, at the end of the workshop from Jamal and Hossam, the Palestinian actors from Gaza whose stories are really uh, with me even today. As a gesture, so this, this gift was a gesture of, of friendship, of human connection, again, you know, and, and gratitude for our encounter and everything we experienced. And they mean so much to me that um, for over 18 years, I have been carrying these two objects everywhere, in every country I moved, every town, every house I, I moved, uh, I realized actually they are part of me, of, of my becoming, and very importantly, of my trying to understand the, the world and having them in my home library, seeing them every day is a reminder of, of all that. This is so powerful. I mean, wow. Again, uh... Objects are more than objects. They're all about stories. And the stories is not only in books, but again, outside of the book. Yeah, it's very, very... I didn't know this story of yours. It's the first time I hear it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's again something I have never... And you see, like, even you, you were here last year. I, I mean, there were so many things... I wanted to show you and and to to tell you we didn't get although it was in front of us every day I didn't get to tell you the the story of these two objects yeah it's um it's wonderful because these are they they carry as you say they are not just objects they carry a, a, an important memory they carry a story behind um and so I'm curious about what did you pick I also know your, your home library, which is a fantastic space in your house, and you have amazing objects in it. So I'm really curious. I think it was not easy for you to just limit yourself to two objects. It's very difficult because everyone who comes to my house, they look around. It looks a bit like a museum with every object has a story, you know, because it's really placed specifically somewhere. So 
it also has a meaning where I place things, you know, which book are they? They're, they're not just randomly in front of any book or author. It means something, you know, where I put them. And now I put, I have two, it's not just objects, but it's one object and around it I create a whole installation. <laughs> so for instance, this one, I'm looking at it from here. Um, I think it would be nice to post photos also on our Instagram so that our, our listeners can will be able to see on our on the not loud enough uh, Instagram account, and um, yeah. so that would be nice to see. But uh, let me try to describe. So I have this uh, on top of one of my uh, libraries. I have a picture of uh, my mother holding me uh, as a, when I was a baby. And it's, a, it's actually a frame that can close and open. So on one side, there is me as a baby, a black and white picture. And the other one is my mother. It's a beautiful picture. So I put it uh, like it's, it's in front of a book, uh, a graphic novel called Bruxelles uh, from uh, uh, François Schreuten and Benoit Peters. Uh, it's about this. It's a fantastic graphic novel, a series about the... Uh, imaginary Brussels, futuristic uh, Brussels is a fabulous, so it's Brussels, so it's my hometown, well, my hometown, yes. And then now next to it, I have two things, one little uh, nar, so it's a pomegranate box uh, in silver, in which I have a piece of jewelry my aunt uh, offered to me. And I have my mother's bottle of perfume uh, L'air du temps by Nina Ricci and she doesn't use that perfume anymore uh, this bottle I bought two weeks ago so I had a moment like it happens sometimes you know you're like, oh, I miss my mom I, I, I haven't seen her since the pandemic I haven't seen her and I'm like I just had the urge to, to, to feel connected to her not through a screen not through a message not through her voice but differently And I, I went into a perfume shop. I said, do you have Nina Ricci's L'Air du Temps? <laughs> And they said, yes, we do. And so I, I picked a, a bottle of uh, L'Air du Temps, which is a beautiful bottle. You know, it's, I, I really, it, it immediately, even seeing the bottle and the, the, the yellow box brought me back to, to those moments when I was younger and my mom was still using L'Air du Temps. And I, you know, I sprayed it. And once in a while, now it's there. The bottle is, uh, the box is also there. The bottle is on, next to the picture, next to the Brussels uh, the graphic novel. So it's, it all forms a mini installation. But it's also an example of how stories are not only told through words, but also scent, you know, can tell a story. A perfume tells a story. And all these associations you can make with your or different senses and this is for me very powerful la madeleine du, du proust hein? exactly la madeleine de proust that this is a comment someone made on my instagram when i posted this picture about my mother and, and the scent they said oh we all have our madeleine and indeed we all have our our madeleine and this is my one of my many madeleines so this is my first object let's say beautiful And this connection to home, like you created your own connection, memory for home, especially in, this, uh, in these times. Because this installation, you did it now. This, this didn't exist like this last year, for example. 
exactly it exists now in this time time space exactly it's very specific to this time that's why i also record everything i always take pictures <laughs> i like archiving everything i do I'm a bit obsessive about archiving my work. But um, then uh, the other object is also, again, more of an installation than, a, than an object. And that's one library I have in my bedroom, because I have now decided that my bedroom will not be the space where I put the clothes, but it's a place where I sleep, but also a place where I have precious books and um, a desk. I bought myself a brand new desk, uh, quite uh, fancy with some velvet and a velvet chair, you know. So I created a whole space where I am banning digital uh, tools. So no phone, no computer, it's no digital. It's all about my inks, paper. So I've put all my inks there, all my different pens. And so that's really a sacred space where I write letters, when I write in my notebooks, where I read stuff, you know. So there is also a library there. And it's an intimate space on many levels. Exactly. It's intimate on so many levels, and that's why I love it. It's a space where I have banned all uh, electronic equipments, and it's really about books, about reading, about memories, about making. And the objects are include you. <laughs> Includes a, a beloved writer of ours, so because everything is placed in front of specific uh, writers. Here, this is an Edmund de Waal space, so I have three books by Edmund de Waal there. And next to the book, I have another nar, so nar means pomegranate in Turkish. This time, it's, a, it's a one cer in ceramic, uh, turquoise blue with a dried flower in, because I'm obsessed with dried flowers. I dry flowers, I press them, and my home is full of them. So I always keep them, and they all have specific meaning, a specific story. They come from an event or what was offered to me. And um, the one that is in there is one of a bouquet that was offered to me by a dear friend of mine. So that is there. Next to it, there's a picture of both of us. <laughs> But very special because this is a series you made for my birthday. Yeah. So you, you prepared something very special for my birthday with pictures from our throughout the year that we exchange, including us or moments we shared together with some quotes. So there's a picture. There's Edmund de Waal books. There's the little nar, so the pomegranate and ceramic. And the notebook you offered me. A beautiful notebook you have offered me, which is also there. And a broken object. I broke a ceramic piece uh, recently. And instead of throwing it, because you know how Edmund de Waal, in his book, he talks about objects and the importance of keeping objects. So I just uh, glued a little piece of dried flour into it. And I just put it there. And it's just standing there in front of the books. So for me, this is all a mini installation again, telling a story. Maybe only me can, can understand what it's all about. But I do. Every time I look at it, I feel happy. I feel fulfilled. I feel full of stories and inspired. And I feel connected. I feel connected to the things I read, to the experience of life. So for me, these objects actually is really keeping the connection between what we read and how we experience life. It's what links them together. And also 
mem- it's always beautiful to keep memories. And but yeah, I, I think it's really, really amazing how reading and memories and objects—they're all, all related, and they influence also the way we work. They influence the way we do everything else in our lives. And I think it will be interesting now to talk about maybe this, to end our, our episode on this note. Like, yeah. I, I'd love to, to hear from you how did everything we just talked about, so the books, the literature, the languages, the love for reading, all these objects, how does that impact your, your work as a communicator or your professional life in general? I suppose you will agree as well. Um, it had a massive influence, um, and not only books or the written word, but um, artists, novelists, poets, activists, philosophers, humanities in general. Um, and, well, not only humanities, you know, science as well, but um, books clearly, uh, after everything I said here, <laughs> clearly had a huge influence. And when I look back, I think that the exposure to these different worlds from an early age is what led me into becoming a cum- communicator. I think it was such a natural, logical thread. Um, reading, writing clearly makes you a better writer. And nowadays that's such a valuable skill in the in the workplace. Uh, also verbal articulation, good writing, I don't know, critical thinking. These are all skills you acquire through through reading and you need you need them uh, in, in comms nowadays. Uh, for me, it's actually through through reading that I started to value a good uh, piece of content. Uh, it influenced me in in this quest for the truth and and meaning of the words. I'm very obs- I would say obsessed with with this. The meaning we give to the words, the way we construct words and phrases, the importance of words and the impact they have on audiences. Um, and I believe that as communicators, we are responsible for the content we produce and again for the impact we generate through our content. And I I was saying this earlier that I educated myself to read from different cultures. And of course, this informs the way I communicate professionally because I'm able to take into consideration different perspectives and do so empathically. Um, If I think about, I I built an entire organization, Migration Lab, in order to explore this connection and and responsibility uh, we have with words. Then if we look at brands or any type of organization or institution today, you see that they need to be able to tell their story and they need to do that. (laughs) They need to tell it well. Uh, And they need more than ever, starting with this year, they needed to communicate with honesty and empathy. And in the end, you need to know how to talk to people. And for that, you need to care. Um, And then I think communication is not only about the written word, you have also the visual communication, it's important as well. And so arts, culture, literature influence my creativity. And I, since some years, I started to integrate that in in whatever I do. Um, It's how I created the Migration Lab co-design workshop together with migrants, refugees and locals, for example, which is a framework based on creative activities that helps people work together on certain issues. Um, you know, having an aesthetic eye is important as well today. Having this a good eye for design, for chromatics and so on. And you acquire that by being exposed and practicing a creative life. Pretty much what we've been talking uh, un- until now. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's 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 the same for me, you know. I, I so I already touched uh, upon a few earlier, um, especially talking about words, you know, outside of the book, uh, the object, but also creating in different uh, media, and uh, therefore creating opportunities also for. Um, Pluridisciplinary activities. This also all links to jo- what you just uh, you just said. Uh, the importance of the visual, not only words, and how we use words, um, and all, all this for me is also linked. And this whole journey we just made together, talking about our books and how they influence us and how we experience life, of course, feeds into the way we we work. I can give uh, a couple of uh, very concrete examples, for instance, of how I do this. Uh, for instance, there's a performative translators workshop which I have created and organized with the Read My World International Literature Festival in Amsterdam. I'm, I'm a curator for. And then there is also my ongoing project, City in Translation. And we will link to these in the in the show notes so people can read more about if they're interested in. But basically, both projects take translation and creative writing and uh, the importance of languages and, and literature outside of the book how do you use this on a stage during a cultural event or in the urban spaces um, and also in general you know what I read and how I read uh, has influenced my work in, in communications of course such as the work I do for instance for tandem the tandem program of uh, Mitost uh, I've been working for Mitost and uh, the tandem program for a few years now Mitost is a nonprofit uh, organization based in Berlin, and they promote cultural exchange and active citizenship in Europe and its neighboring regions. So really close to also what you've been doing with the Migration Lab for, for such a long time. And in all their programs, you know, people and the reason why they do what they do is central. You know, so this is what you need to capture. So empathy, you know, the the, the, the passion for, for all these issues we always talk about, you know. This is also why we created Not Loud Enough, you know. We, we really care about so many different issues and how do we communicate about these issues. So that's central. And um, all these stories, for instance, when we talk about the Tandem program, they all exist in such complex cultural and uh, political contexts and sometimes I don't always know exactly all of them you know but I manage to get close to and understand and translate these into stories through the people and through what they do and why they do it and why it's important and our commonalities also the things we care about you know and uh, so I have the empathy, the curiosity to learn and to know more. I think this comes from everything we read and the way we experience literature, arts and culture uh, in, in general, but in my case, also my translator's background. And also the storytelling, you know, it's all fu- fueled by my experience of literature, theater, and they're all, all mixed with, uh, with the experience uh, of life. It was the last, our last episode this year, and I think it's a nice way to end uh, the year by saying, let's keep connecting, let's keep reading. And actually, I would uh, wrap up this episode with a quote from, again, on connection, Kay Tempest. Uh, beneath the surface we are connected thank you Laura thank you also to our listeners Uh, 
thank you for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to know you're out there. And you can connect with us, Laura. How can our listeners connect with us? We are present on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram at NLE Podcast. You can also send us a message at our uh, email address, nlepodcast at gmail.com. As always, we are happy to have your feedback and uh, would love to answer your questions if you have any. Um, If you like what you hear, we would appreciate uh, a review to help us uh, make the Not Loud Enough podcast more visible and reachable. And um, we wish you a lovely end of the year. Be safe out there. Uh, We know these are very challenging times. And when you're having difficulty, try to connect with people around you. We really hope you have people you can connect with. If you don't connect with books, that also helps. It saves many people. I know Uh, we will be back with new guests in the new year. And I hope you will make time for books or reconnecting with yourselves through books. Um, It uh, helps during these times. And remember, we can never be loud enough about issues we care about. Thank you. See you next year.